Let's take our Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter number 6 and verse 16. The message is going to be kind of different today, but I really hope by the end you might be wondering for a while where I'm going, but by the end I hope it'll personally help you and your faith in a very, very great God. In Galatians 6 and verse 16, I haven't had a voice this week, and then I had to lead singing today out at Countryside because Calvin was driving our bus. That didn't go well, but uh, we got through it. Galatians 6.16, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace beyond them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. And upon the Israel of God. I want to talk about the Israel of God today. And uh, he's, he's mentioned as the God of Israel over 200 times in the scripture, but here he's called, it's called the Israel of God. Something very special about Israel. For those of you that are new, you might not know this, but we have about 11 of our church members leaving Tuesday to go to Israel. They're here today. They'll be going to Israel for about 10 days for a tour. And for what I hope and pray will be a life-changing experience. If you ever get the chance to go to Israel, take it and go. My wife and I got to do that back in 05. And it's just, it's kind of like taking some of the pages of the Bible and change them from black and white to color. As I read stories in the Bible and say, oh yeah, I was there. I remember, I know exactly what that looks like. And you see it's reality. It's not just... uh, Stories in a book that somebody came up with. You actually see a hill called Calvary, and it looks like a skull. That's what Calvary means, the place of the skull. And you see, there's a hill that looks like a skull. This is where they crucified Christ. And then you go through the garden. The Bible says there's a garden next to Calvary, and you walk through it. And there's an empty tomb there, built into solid rock, and you walk in it, and it's empty. And it all becomes real. And whenever you read it from that point on, you're like, yeah, I was there. I saw that. These aren't just stories that somebody made up for some reason, put them in a book. You actually go and see the geography uh, of the, the, the country. And you, you go up to Mount Carmel and you see where Elijah fought with the prophets of Baal and, and, and all the other places that you, you go to the Jordan River and and see, well, this is where Christ was baptized because there was much water there. And, and it all becomes real to you. And I'm so happy for those of you that are going to Israel. I hope the message today will bless you in preparation for your trip and also bless all of us in our faith. I want to talk about the subject of Israel, the prevailing God. Israel, the prevailing God. The... Uh, Bible calls Israel in Zechariah 2 and verse 12 the Holy Land. The Holy Land. Now that doesn't mean you can, you know, reach down and grab some dirt and that's like holy dirt or something. The word holy does mean to be clean and separate and righteous, but it means to be sanctified, set apart unto a particular cause. And when we say that Israel is the Holy Land, it it means that that's a land that God has set apart for him. It, it belongs to him and, and to the children of Israel uh, forever. 
and it's called the Holy Land. There's no place like it. Very small country, it's just the size of New Jersey. Um, Very densely populated, over 9 million people in it, like New Jersey's our most densely populated state in all of America. Uh, Israel has the exact same population, uh, which is a miracle in itself. Um, It is a unique nation in that it is the only nation that ties three continents together. Uh, Asia uh, is connected directly to the land of Israel. Europe is connected directly to the land of Israel. And Africa is connected directly to the uh, land of Israel. It's the only nation on earth that connects three continents. Extremely rich. The uh, uh, natural resources of Israel lusted after by all the world. Uh, for its, its minerals, its petroleum, and uh, without a doubt, many have their eyes on it uh, for that reason. Uh, the first time it's ever mentioned, it's not mentioned at all as a uh, nation, but rather as a man. And if you could turn back to Genesis uh, chapter number 32, this is the first time you read the word Israel in all of the Bible. Now, when you're studying the Bible, there's a law. Some people call it a law. Of hermeneutics, this interpretation of Scripture. Sometimes it's called the law of first mention. That the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, it, 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 it gives you something kind of straight to, to, to follow through as a chain all from that point on through the rest of the scriptures. And we see the word Israel mentioned for the very first time here in Genesis chapter number 32 and verse number 28. But before that, I want to read beginning at verse 24. It says, And Jacob was alone, and, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, He touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. He said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and has prevailed. The King James Version is often a good dictionary of itself. Uh, You often don't have to look anywhere else, but it'll interpret. I want you to notice the last word there, the word prevailed. That's what the uh, prefix Isra means. El means God. Isra means prevailing. Israel means the prevailing God. And he's going to use a little nation to show that he is, to all the world, the prevailing God. And so the first time the word Israel is used, it's not to a nation, but it's to a person. And his name was Jacob. Jacob's life is completely transformed in this moment as he wrestles with God. And he he, he prays and wrestles and begs God to bless him. Uh, What a great experience for any man to have. 
The word Jacob means supplanter or deceiver, and he certainly lived up to that by this time in his life. Jacob was very good at deceiving people and faking out people, and, and he, was, he was pretty bad in some areas of his life, but now he changes, and God can change men. God can change men. If we didn't believe that, we'd close up the church and all go home. Uh, And God can change men when they begin to wrestle with the Lord and when they begin to say, Lord, please bless me. I'm sick of the way I'm living. And he wrestled with a man on the darkest day of his night. And the man, I believe, was an Old Testament Christophany. That is an Old Testament appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus, you know, he let him have his way for a while. And then he just stuck his finger down and, you know, put his joint, his thigh out of joint and and uh, that was that. He limped the rest of his life. But uh, uh, Jesus let him wrestle with him. And his request was that <clears throat> he would bless him. I will not let thee go, Jacob said. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Uh, boy, there's an example for every man or woman in this room. To just get along with God and say, I, don't, I just don't want to be the way I am anymore. And get along with God, and pray and fast, and say, I'll not let you go until you bless me and change me. And God can still change men today and still change women today. We don't have to stay the way we are. We don't have to stay the way we are. But you've got to get along with God. And pray, ask the Lord to bless you. And God blessed him and says, you know something? I'm not going to call you Jacob, deceiver, supplanter anymore. I'm going to call you Israel because you've prevailed with God. And we're introduced for the first time to the word Israel here in chapter 32 and verse 28. Isra, prevailing, El. God. Anytime you have L at the end of a word, it refers to God. Samuel, Beth L, whatever. That's that's referring to God. Is Israel the prevailing God? And so God now begins to form with Jacob a family, and He begins to have twelve sons. They become the twelve tribes of Israel the 12 tribes of Jacob, and they become a big family. And the Lord says to them, and in many times, many cases, the Lord says, I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to give you this land forever. Forever. Now, when God says something, it, 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 it happens exactly the way God has said it. And over and over in the scriptures, he has promised the children of Israel that land. Starting back with Jacob's great uh, grandfather, Abraham. Turn back to Genesis 13. Genesis 13. And verse number 15. Genesis 13, 15, history says this, 
the Lord said to Abraham, verse 15, For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Now God only has to say that once. But he has said it over and over and over and over again in the word. Abraham, what you see, I'm going to give to you and your seed forever and uh, ever. Now in Genesis 14, we see the introduction of a new word that's never found in the Bible before. And it says, there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew. Notice the word Hebrew for the first time ever in the Bible. Abraham is a Hebrew, and to the Hebrews, he's going to give this land forever. I know there's a lot of controversy over whose land is. Not with us. No controversy with us at all. We know from the beginning what God said about the land of Israel that you're going to. He's called a Hebrew. That comes from the word Eber. Some of you remember Noah once got on a boat, and the whole world was destroyed in a violent flood. And Noah was on the boat with three of his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem uh, has a son named Eber. Sometimes it's spelled Heber, H-E-B-E-R, from which we get the word Hebrew. And... uh, Abraham is in that genealogy. Shem, sometimes called Sem, S-E-M. Thus we have the phrase sometimes we hear in the news, anti-Semite. Anti-Semite. When we hear someone say anti-Semite, we know they're saying they're anti-Jewish. All right? So that's where those words originate from. So we're just trying to establish here that the land is given to Abraham and his descendants forever, the Hebrews. The Hebrews. In Exodus, and I'm going to go through these fast so you can just listen. Uh, Real quick, I'm going to just read a bunch of verses to say the same thing. Uh, Exodus 32 and verse uh, 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven (coughs) and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed and they shall inherit it forever. Forever. That's God's word. God's word is not bound and it's not broken. Listen to this one. In the law, it says in Leviticus 25 and verse number 23, the land shall not be sold forever. And there's a bunch of other verses here that I could read uh, to you at this time, but for time's sake, I'm not going to read them all, where God says, this is your land. It's, it's, It's Abraham's and his descendants, the Hebrews, and it's your land forever, and the land shall not be sold. The land shall not, don't ever sell this land. Now, a lot of things have happened to that land uh, since these words were spoken. But boy, we live in exciting times with what we see going on in the land of Israel today. These are exciting times. Man, don't miss it. I hope your eyes are wide open to this stuff because it's happening right before us, man. God is setting up something. 
God is setting up something big right here in our day. And some of you have the privilege of going to this land. Now, why Israel? Why would God choose Israel? In the, he answers that question for us in Deuteronomy chapter number 7. And in Deuteronomy chapter number 7, verse 6, he says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thy Lord, the Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Thus we get the phrase that's often used of Israel, the chosen people. The chosen people. You've heard that before. Israel is the chosen people. Why God chose them? Above all people that are upon the earth, the Lord did not set his love upon thee, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath he brought you out with a mighty hand. Why did God choose Israel? Why did I choose my wife? Because I loved her. When I married her, there was three billion other women on earth. But I chose her. Why? That's what love does. We tried to explain a little bit about love last Sunday. (laughs) Didn't get very far. But love, you just choose somebody. And you give your undivided attention to that person for the rest of your life. It says in the book of Numbers, verses 23 and verses 8 through 9, that God loved Israel so much, he, says, he said, he will not be, shall not be reckoned among the, among the nations. God does not consider Israel just a nation on earth. Um, just like I don't consider my wife just to be like any other woman on earth. You just choose. God didn't choose Israel because they were the biggest. He chose Israel because they were the fewest. And he just said, I love Israel. Became chosen people. And then in a spiritual way, He became married to her. Jeremiah 3 and verse 14 says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. And I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. He talks about his marriage in Isaiah 62 and verse 4 also to Israel, just like, you know, Israel's called the apple of his eye. Uh, when the Bible was written, they thought the iris was round like an apple. And um, part of your eyeball, and so that, that was called the apple of your eye. But it has also become a, a phrase that means a term of endearment, just, just, just the one special. I don't know, can you men explain why you chose the one you did? Some of you know what I mean. It's just, we hope God superintended over it. I don't, I don't know why else. But I, just, I, just, uh, I just chose her. And 
That was 43 years ago, and I still love her to this day. I mentioned that last week. I see no faults in her. Just, just great. God's love was blind towards Israel. We went over that last week. He said, I don't see iniquity in Israel. I don't see perverseness in Israel. Because love is blind. Because love is blind. And so, whoever touches Israel, touches the apple of his eye, it's like somebody trying to poke God in his own eyes. Yeah. You know, your eyes are the first thing you defend. Did you know that? You know, someone says, get down. First thing we do. We don't, we don't even think about it. We just, you just put protection over your eyes. It's the first thing you defend by, by nature, just the way it is. And um, Israel is the apple of his eye. God loves Israel. We can never forget that. But beyond that, there is a spiritual lesson that we can learn as Gentiles. And by the way, speaking about the fewest, he said, I didn't choose you because you're the most. I chose you because you're the fewest. Do you know that Two-tenths of one percent of the world's population today is Jewish. 99.8% of the world's population today is Gentile. So let me illustrate it this way. If you've got 980 people over here, and you've got 20 over here, who do you think is going to win? But who keeps winning? All through history, the prevailing God. The prevailing God. Who won? Israel or Egypt? Seventy of them went down into Egypt, lived there for 430 years, grew to about three million. 603,000 footmen left. They didn't didn't have one single sword on them. And here comes Pharaoh. All the chariots of the, the, the most powerful military on the earth of the day. And they're chasing Israel out into the wilderness and their backs are up against the Red Sea. Well, that's it for their history. Right? Well, no, God says go forward. And he divides the Red Sea. And they go over on dry ground. And so Pharaoh and his, all of his chariots say, well, let's, let's follow them. They get into the sea and God brings the water back and drowns them all. You know, prophecy says that in the last days, Egypt will be one of the basest of kingdoms on earth. And you know what it is today? It's one of the basest of kingdoms on earth today. But at the time, it was the most powerful. Egypt as an empire is no more. But Israel's doing pretty well today. And they get out in the wilderness and they go up across Jericho and they come into Canaan land. And now they've got to fight all the Canaanites. <laughs> Man, some of those people were huge. Well-secured. Jericho, places like that. And the prevailing God helps them. By the time it's over, they have a 31-2 and record in the conquests of Canaan. 
they establish themselves finally in the land and they backslide, they begin to serve other gods and everything and the Assyrians come down, the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrian Empire and capture the northern kingdom called Israel at the time and many of them become slaves to the Assyrian Empire. You say, well, that's it's for Israel. You know how powerful the Assyrian Empire was. Israel don't have a chance. They're taking captives. But today, the Assyrian Empire is another empire that has just been cast onto the trash heap of history. And Israel survived because of the prevailing God. Because that's what the word Israel means. Then it's the Babylonians. Israel's got to face the Babylonians now. The Babylonians take the southern kingdom, Judah, and finally Jerusalem captive. And they're all hauled off. You remember those great guys, don't you? Ezekiel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Remember those stories? No hope. They're gone. And off they go into the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar, it's over. It's over. If you're a gambling man, you're going to put all your money on Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. What is Babylon today? It's a bunch of dirt hills where nobody even lives, no occupants. It's just dust in the desert. But Israel prevailed, though they faced the Babylonian Empire. So here comes the Medo-Persian Empire. They take over. Israel's captive to the Medo-Persian Empire. Man, they can't, they can't win another one, can they? Well, the Medo-Persians are gone, but Israel's still here. And then comes the Greek Empire. The Greeks. Israel's just scattered. Keep, keep in mind, this, what's called the diaspora the dispersion. And over and over and over again, Old Testament prophets, beginning with Moses, said, you know something, there's coming a day when I'm going to take Israel and I'm going to disperse them all over the world, out of their land. But don't worry, I'll gather them back in. And these were the tools that God had been using, the Greeks, and now the Greek Empire. Where's the Greek Empire today? Uh, there's not even, I don't think there's 14 million Greek-speaking people on earth today. They're so small. Well, if that didn't crush them, the next one's gone. The Roman Empire. The Iron Fist. Nothing the world has ever seen has been like the Roman Empire. There's no way this two-tenths of one percent of the world's population, the one that God loved, not because they were the greatest, but because they were the fewest, would possibly survive the Roman Empire. 800 years of the Roman Empire, they're going to still survive that and maintain their identity? Are you kidding? But Israel means the prevailing God. And where's the Roman Empire now? They're just 
reduced to encyclopedias on old dusty shelves of, of uh, libraries somewhere that we read about, the Roman Empire. But Israel's doing just fine. And the dispersion to every nation on earth, they survived it. They maintained their identity. The British Empire that owned the land in 1948. What about the Nazis? The Nazis came after them. Where are the Nazis today? They're gone. But Israel's still here. Why? Because Israel means the prevailing God. God said, I'm going to take a little nation. I'm going to teach everybody on earth that no matter what you face, if God be for us, who can be against us? No matter what you face. I'll take the smallest nation on earth and I'll show you my faithfulness to what I said. And that land will be yours forever. That's my God. That's my God. Is that your God? See, God can save by many or few. Doesn't matter. God in one person like a Elijah up on Mount Carmel. You go to Mount Carmel next week. I got to preach up there once. Mount Carmel. You'll see a Moses or Elijah against the 400 prophets. Micaiah. Jonathan and his armor bearer. So many stories in the Bible are just one or two guys with God. It's all, it's all they needed. It's all that was needed to get the victory. But you know, there's more history to go. They're back in their land. 1948, they became a nation. They started re- regathering uh, the Jews from all over the world in September 2022, which is what? October, November, December, January, February, five months. Since then, they surpassed seven million Jews who have now gone back to live in their land. There's only 14 million Jews on earth. And they're going back and back. Why? Because God said so. That's why. So, he said, I'm going to scatter you. Now, we didn't know when he said it, he was going to do it for thousands of years. You kind of almost lose a little hope after a while, wouldn't you? If you were a Jew and you're scattered for thousands of years and you're saying, now God said we're going to go back to our land, when is that happening? Well, we get to see it every day. There's more Jews in Israel now than in any nation on earth. As all over the world, Jews are leaving those nations going back to Israel, becoming one of the most densely populated countries on earth because God said so. You ask them. You stand in the airport in Tel Aviv and see these new Jews arriving every day. And you're saying, why did did you come back here? Could you answer me? I don't know. But we know. Because God's put it in his heart to fulfill his will. And God is setting up something called the time of Jacob's trouble. 
It's a seven-year period on earth that follows the rapture of God's people, the ascension of God's people, the resurrection of God's people, those born-again believers in Jesus Christ in the church age who are going to be taken out. And when the church is taken out here very soon at the rapture, Israel is not going to have a friend left on earth. They're not going to have a friend left on earth. And God's going to gather them all into their own nation so they could end up being surrounded with no hope. And a confederacy of Islamic communist nations. Over one billion right now in a circle around them are going to come down against them. And God is going to bury them in the fields of Megiddo. You'll go there, the valleys of Megiddo. They're going to show you the valleys of Megiddo on your trip and just picture that someday being filled with blood. And God's going to leave but the sixth part of the Russians and the Chinese and the Persians and the Ethiopians and all those. You can read it in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It hasn't happened yet, but you can read it this afternoon. And those Jews without any hope at that time are going to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And Paul's prayer and Paul's prophecy will be fulfilled very soon. What was Paul's prayer? Romans 10.1 Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That's his prayer. What's his prophecy? Romans 11 and verse number 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. Oh yeah. There's coming a day. Now, when you go over there this week, don't think they're going to love you because you're a Christian tour group coming. They hate Christians. Today, 81% of those that live in Israel practice Judaism. 17% practice Islam. 2% practice Christianity. And those probably aren't Jews. There are some Messianic Jews, completed Jews, that have trusted in Christ as their Savior. There are some. And there, there seems to be more and more lately, praise the Lord. But they're not going to say, hey, we're so glad another group of Christians have come to our country. Tourism is the number one source, resource of capital in, in Israel. Number one. So the Jews aren't going to mess with you and the, the Muslims aren't going to mess with you. Why? They want your money. And they know you don't bite the hand that feeds you. You are safe in Israel. They want your money. But God has plans. And there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation on earth. Jesus said, such as the world has never seen, it's going to be so bad, seven years. They're going to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. You're going, to be, you're going to go up on the Temple Mount. All you're going to see is two Muslim mosques. Now, those will be torn down. The temple will be rebuilt up there. You're going to see it. And the Antichrist is going to sit in that temple. 
and make the world worship him and serve him for those seven years, then he's going to be done away with. And then at the end of the seven years, here comes Jesus for his second coming. And guess where he puts his feet down? In Israel. In Israel. Right on the Mount of Olives. Marches through Stephen's gate, the eastern gate, the golden gate, call it whatever you want. Sits in the temple. And for the next 1,000 years, Jesus Christ will rule and reign from Israel. And Israel will be the hub of all the attention of the world for a thousand years. In fact, people from every nation will go to Israel. There's probably going to still be airplanes. We'll be going to Israel constantly to worship the Lord Jesus Christ for a thousand years. He's going to rule and reign. And then that rule and reign will go off into eternity. And when heaven comes down, guess what it's called? The new Washington The new Albany. No, the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. Boy, Israel. Look, if you're having any trouble with your faith in God, just think about Israel. Explain Israel. How did they survive? Because they have the prevailing God. The prevailing God. That's what the word means. It's an illustration. God did this on purpose for us all. He says, I'm going to take the smallest, fewest, and I'm going to marry her. And I'm going to give her the land, and she's going to have the land forever. No matter what Egypt throws, or the Canaanites, or the Assyrians, or the Babylonians, or the Medo-Persians, or the Greeks, or the Romans... Or, or the dispersion, or the British Empire, or the Nazi, I don't care what, throw whatever you want, they'll all be reduced to the ash heap of history, never to rise again. But Israel will rule and reign with Jesus Christ as their king. God says, you watch me do it. You spoke on the faithfulness of God Wednesday night. The faithfulness of God. What's this got to do with you? Everything. He's your God. I don't care how outnumbered you are right now with whatever you're going through. I don't care how many enemies you think you have. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now let me just read one verse, then we're going to sing. Turn to Romans eleven twenty-eight. This verse probably explains the current Israel, the current Jew, better than any. Uh, Heather, who is that? What's her name? Ella. Ella. All right, that's precious. Amen. Romans eleven twenty eight. This is this is a, a nutshell verse. Okay, this is how it is. For now. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. If you don't believe it, try giving them tracts this week. Try saying we're missionaries. Try that over in Israel. We got Israel on our calendar of prayer for hostile nations. 
They are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, notice they are beloved for the Father's sake. Beloved. That's why we love Israel. Because they're beloved for the Father's sake. They're beloved. That's the apple of his eye. They're going to be saved someday. They're going to be saved. But if there's one thing, I mean, if you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic, if you're a secular humanist, and for some reason you ever are listening to this sermon, please explain Israel. Israel is a miracle. Please explain how two-tenths of one percent of the population of the world is going to prevail someday. Because Israel prevailing. El, God. That's why. That's why. And you need to have your faith in God strengthen what he can do for you little peons like us, if he can do that for a whole nation, he can help us. I'd like us to turn to page number 818. I changed the song. I thought about this song when I was preparing the sermon. I wish I could say more about Israel, but Israel has prevailed. And boy, they're going to be up against some stuff in the future here, but they'll prevail. They'll prevail. Always side with Israel. Well, these anti-Semites, what a waste of a life. After God has shown himself faithful to his wife, to Israel, all these years, and some people would still oppose him. Great is thy faithfulness. If Israel shows us anything, it shows us how faithful God is. Let's stand together and sing, Great is thy faithfulness. If you need to come pray about anything, you come. If you need to be saved, let us know.